It's fake. It's all fake. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Throwing out discs. Retro fake TV. And Australia wakes up. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello, chaps. We've had a two week break. We're back fully refreshed, I hope. And uh, rumor has it that Chris actually made a trip to the UK, but none of us saw him. So that can't be true, Chris. You'd never do that to us, would you? It was all fake. Everything. <laughs> the whole trip was fake. Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, I was there. Was yep. there any retro involved in your trip? There was limited retro because it was just about catching up with family, but I did go shopping at CEX and I did buy something just for the sake of buying something at CEX. But I'm quite pleased with it. I picked up Doom for the PlayStation 1. Um, It is the Platinum version, so not exactly hard to get hold of. Um, But yeah, I'm quite pleased with that. So copy of Doom. How much much did a copy of Doom cost you in CEX in the UK? I didn't really think about it when I bought it, um, and it was in the secure cabinet, which means it was more than three pounds. Um, Fifteen pounds that cost me, so thirty dollars Australian, which I don't think is bad for a copy of Doom, and it's in good condition. It's got the man- manual and everything, no scratches that I could see on the back of the disc, so not bad. But it is the platinum version, which is a lot less collectible than the original um, two disc version, because there was a version that where you got Doom One and Doom Two. That's that's the biggie. Yeah. I'm not really au fait with PlayStation game prices because all of my PlayStation collection basically comes from charity shops where I've paid 50p or a pound for them. Nice. So there's every chance that Doom might turn up in a charity shop one day for, for a pound, but I think it would go pretty quickly if, if someone saw that. They'd, they'd snap that up. Um, so, yeah, so long as you're happy, Chris. That's what I am. Maybe, maybe people in the comments can let us know if that's a good or a bad price. <laughs> um, I had a, a nice two weeks. Um We've just had a, uh, a patron day at the cave yesterday with our special guest, Stephen Leary of Terrible Fire. And I resisted right until the end of the session. And then I buckled and I bought this, which I'm holding up here, is um, it's a Terrible Fire card with the CPU relocator and the um, SD card ID interface there. So I can drop this straight into my, this is for an Amiga 500. It is a TF536, so a 50 megahertz 030. Um, some SD RAM on there and an ID in- e interface. So it just becomes the perfect um, add-on for your 500. Whereas I've been using an Amiga 600 here before. People love to sit down and play on the Amiga when they visit, but they've got more nostalgia f- just for the look of the 500. More people yeah. had the 500. So this will just give it all the capabilities that it needs. And Guess what arrived five minutes ago, Neil? Go on. Oh, is that the terrible fires. Yeah, this is a, a TF-1230. Honestly, arrived five minutes ago. The postman just dropped in the house there. Yeah. Um, Stephen told us a fun story about that one. Um, I did record his talk, so it'll be on the channel very soon. But when he was doing the 1200 one, it took them ages to find the connectors to be able to put that into the 1200 trapdoor slot. The rest of the design was exactly the same dimensions as the old school accelerators, so they knew it would fit in the trapdoor. But it turned out the connector was just a couple of millimeters bigger than the original connectors. So his first mm. batch, you couldn't fit in the 1200 unless you put the case <laughs> no. of the 1200. <laughs> so well, nice. hopefully you've got a later batch, Dave. But um, that's not the only thing that happened yesterday. Uh, I, I got snippets of news about what was going on. You had, you had Dan there with his wraps, and you had 
uh, one of my favourite people, Rob Rob Smith, uh, formerly of The Cure, who had his <laughs> Mister Add-on working, and he also had his copy station. He was he was using real discs live in a Mister properly, not loading them into memory in the first, but actually using them live, connecting directly to it. Absolutely astonishing. Yeah, so Rob will do a video on his channel about this, but it's the first time I've seen this. Um, a, yeah, I think it's shown to his patrons at the moment, yep. isn't it? So there's um, a slice with a floppy disk drive in there, bl- uh, hooked straight into the um, – he's got a Mr. Multi system, and um, but of course this will work on any Mr. And he's running the Minimig core, very mature core, great core, and he's uh, modified that to uh, – you, you can select whether this disk drive is DF0, whether it's DF1, act to act as an external disk drive or whatever – and it will just load games straight up nice. from the disk in real time. Even the copy protection, even passes copy protection checks on magnificent games like Captain Planet. And Lemmings. <laughs> but mostly yeah, Captain Planet. Too. <laughs> yeah, Lemmings Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah, and he had a disk floppy, self-service disk floppy station, which I showed a clip of in my Kickstart video, where you just walk up to it, you put your floppy disk in, you put your USB drive in, press a red button, and you get a, uh, an image of your disk. He that does such brilliant. great things. Um, and then you mentioned Dan from Retrofied. He did the uh, Amiga 4000 wrap that we did when we restored the black Amiga. Uh, and also he's just done vinyls for, I don't know if you remember the Amiga 500 art editions. There were two art editions in 1991. They're ghastly. They look kind of like Pat Butcher's wardrobe. Um, so, But he's recreated it, and then he's done me a special cave edition one, which uh, I think it's nice. cool. It's very garish, but I think it's cool. Uh, so he's just doing great things with his vinyl stickers and i'm trying to come up with more and more ideas for him to um to serve what people are asking for for what people want yeah vinyl (laughs) hair wrap yeah brilliant vinyl comb over just some strands to stick on think of this before yeah (laughs) i'll look out for that in a future episode um other than that uh just coming up this friday because it's the school summer holidays here in the uk so i've got two hour kids sessions in the past, I've done talks on the history of video games. This is just going to be two hours, slightly reduced price, access all areas, arcade, cave, just play as many games as you can. You're never going to play everything in two hours here. So just rush around, play as much as you can, and hopefully go away wanting and come back another day, come back the following week. So if you want something for your kids to do in the uh, summer holidays, uh, head over to retrocollective.co.uk. There you go. Squeezed my own sponsorship then. Squeeze the plug <laughs> in there. Um, Dave, anything else to, to report on your two weeks off? Well, I've um, I my my mother passed away, which is part of the reason why we took the two weeks off, and it made me decide to get a lot of things done. Uh, one of them is getting my Amiga built. I've been meaning to do it for a while. I was going to use a an A five hundred plus to do it, but I'm now going to. I came across a, a, a reasonably priced A twelve hundred, so I'm going to have. What I think for me is the perfect Amiga. It's going to be a black Checkmate um, with a black Checkmate keyboard, which I've now fully assembled, A1200 keycaps. Um, I made some little adjustments to it so that the, the, the LEDs are nice and level, changed the screws for black ones. Um, the TF1230 is for that, which just arrived a few minutes ago. Uh, oh, so you'll the, have no case problems then fitting the, the TF in regardless. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, yeah. Shove it right nice. in there. Um, so Amiga 1200 is going to use an Amiga 500 keyboard. I've got a CD-ROM for no good reason. It's going to be great. I've got a Gateway 17-inch, but you can just see it 
in the corner there. A 17-inch gateway, new old stock monitor. So the whole thing's going to be black. I've got a blank, black tank mouse. It's going to be great. Nice. And I'm also, at the same time, sorting out a grease weasel. Uh, I want to have, uh, I'm going to get a, a, a mid-tower, and I'm going to put six drives in it. I'm going to put grease weasels in, and it's going to do five and a quarter, um, three-inch, and three and a half inch discs. It's going to do them as best as I possibly can. Nice. And it's going to be able to to write any disc that I want to use in that. So I'm, I I am bursting my head trying to get all that worked out. Yeah, we've talked about this. I, I have exactly the same project in mind. A great big tower so that I can. Uh, you want to you want a CD writer in there as well. So you can burn off your CDs, mm-hmm. do all your discs, everything, any kind of media that you want to produce. And then when Dave said he was doing it, I thought. I'll just wait for Dave to do it, and then he can he can <laughs> iron out work. all the problems and just tell me tell me the easy way around. Yeah. In this hobby, especially if you want to use the original media and you have to restore them, whatever, you either need a grease weasel or a friend with a grease weasel. It has to be one or the other, but it's just an absolute must, I think, these days. Don't forget, um, don't forget the drawbridge. The drawbridge is a, oh yeah, the, true. The, the Amiga the Amiga only alternative, although. I wonder if Rob will eventually do more with it. I wonder if it'll turn into its own little grease weasel because mm-hmm. um, mm. he's he's so creative. Um, the future yeah. is floppy disks. Yeah, mm. floppy disks are the future. I mean, they're great. You can take them out, put in your pocket, and go somewhere else with them, and then put them into a different machine and take the data with you. Incredible. Is that not amazing? Incredible. That's, so you don't have to download anything? No. <laughs> like the data's you just there the in your pocket? Yeah, without the this internet. We should make it look like the save icon. That would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> should we get into this week's stories? Yeah, go yeah. on. <laughs> into our first story then, and just for the housekeeping fans out there, no housekeeping this week, is there, Dave? No, no housekeeping no. this week. We'll do it next week. There's a few things we could touch on, but nothing time critical. Yeah. So our first story then was submitted by Hunter2097 over on our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. And he sent us a link to a story written by our good friend Tony Temple, aka Arcade Blogger. He's a regular here at the Arcade Archive. And um, I'd like to say he comes here to practice his missile command skills as he's the world record holder at that game. But I think he actually comes here to play anything but missile command. Um, he probably has enough of playing that at home and practicing. So he comes and plays everything else and just uh, has a chat. And he's a thoroughly nice guy. Now, what he's got on his blog here is a true trash to treasure story because dumped on the side of the street waiting to be collected. This is over in the US. Waiting to be crushed, waiting to be thrown into landfill was a Discs of Tron arcade game. And it wasn't just any version. It's what's called the environmental Discs of Tron, which um, it's a cockpit version. You climb inside, you're fully immersed. Think of a, a Star Wars cab. You might be more familiar with that one. Um, it's, it's very much like that. Tony writes that a man by the name of Tim, Tim Lapatino recounts, uh, I was visiting my family in the Chicago suburbs, and um, his niece mentioned that she saw something Tron-like. She saw a Tron thing on her way home, uh, just sitting on the curb when she was riding her bike. And he said, of course, we jumped into the car to go and take a look. It was just a few blocks away from me. Um, and as we drove up to the spot, I uttered, what the beep? Forgetting that my niece was in the car. And would you believe it? Right there was an EDOT, an environmental discs of Tron sitting by the curb. And in an even greater twist of luck, it had this leaflet um, stuck to the side of it from the bin collectors saying that it was too big for the truck and that the owner should smash it up and then they'll come and take it away. 
So with the permission of the house owner, who didn't really want to talk much about it, she just said she was sick of having it in the garage, take it away. Um, didn't want to talk about the providence of it or anything like that. Um, they, they took it away. And because it was so close, they just put it on some dolly wheels and they pushed the uh, the arcade machine home. It was that close. Imagine finding something that amazing, that close to your house and just being able to wheel it home. Um, just a fantastic story. The condition turned out to be amazingly good. Had little use to it. One of the nice things about this cabinet, if you've never used one, is that the artwork uses UV ink and then there's like a black light inside which lights up the control panel and other elements on the inside there. So it's a real experience to play this game. And that was all in like superb condition. Not only was it a super rare cabinet to find, it was super rare to find it in, in that kind of condition. So um, incredible story. I would encourage you to go over to arcadeblogger.com and read that as well as all the other great content that Tony puts up there. But um, poses a question. Um, first of all, did you read about this? What did you make of it? Have you played Discs of Tron? What are your thoughts on that? And what would be your dream item to find on the curb on bin day? It doesn't have to be retro, but hopefully it is retro. Um, Dave, let's go with you. So I've never played it. I've heard people talk about it, and they talk about it with a sense of awe. So I had a look at some footage, and I don't really, having looking at the footage on YouTube, I don't really get it from just that alone. So it must be, there must be down to how the experience is actually sitting down in the cabinet playing it it must be like that i know that star wars is hugely enhanced by it and i have a nostalgic attachment to, to, the, to the star wars sit down and i just don't have it with this and so maybe that's why um but i'll take people's word for it there's a great game it doesn't look that way to me on youtube though but, uh, there you go i would love to find and Electrocoin Goliath. I've been looking into arcade machines recently to try and find out the ones that I remember playing. And I looked at them and I thought, mm, maybe that's it, maybe that's it. And then I saw the Electrocoin Goliath. I thought, that's it. That's the ones I saw in the arcades. Um, they're, they're, I think they're a UK machine or mainly a UK machine. They're a jammer machine, so they, they're just generic ones. But I like them. I'd like to have one of those. I was tempted to see a sit-down Star Wars because I love the sit-down Star Wars cockpit one. However, there's no realistic way I could ever get one. I need a room for it in the house set aside for it, which I can't do. But the Electrocoin Goliath, there's a hope that maybe one day when I get the rest of the garage converted, I get one, maybe even two of those sitting side by side and put misters in them. Um, there is there is a, a, a point raised by this story um, none of us here, and I'm sure none of our listeners, want to see old stuff get wasted. We're all happy to see things get a second life or find a new owner that uses them. But there is a lot of hassle in getting rid of these things, and I think that's what's happened here. Someone just thought, I, I just don't want to deal with it, just get rid of it. And there must be an awful lot of that going on. I know that people, when people talk about throwing out old uh, old laptops or old, um, old base units, kind of core two duo um, desktop machines that you see in an office, people are, oh, don't waste that. You could do this, that, and the other. There's millions of them. There's absolutely millions of them. There's not a use for it. So sometimes, sadly, things do get thrown out, and I think there's a lot of hassle involved in it. Um, I wonder what would happen if they tried to sell this arcade cabinet. How many people would turn up and then struggle to try and take it away, fail and leave. How many time wasted would say, uh, can you arrange to have it delivered? I'll pay for it. How much of that would go on? And I wonder if that's why they just said, oh, just stick it in the sidewalk and get rid of it. Get rid of it. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe there was a hope it would just disappear. The, the, the lady certainly didn't want any money for it. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think in that situation, you'd probably get, are you sure? Okay, let's get the hell out of Dodge with this thing as quickly as possible before anyone changes their mind or someone rocks up or whatever. What a find. What an incredible find. It was actually the second arcade game based on the film. So there's a game called Tron that came out in the arcade, which has kind of four mini games that you can choose from the main menu, like light cycles and things like that. And then this one is like an arena battler, kind of slightly odd um, uh, perspective where you're bunging discs at one another and it's got this gorgeous great big flight stick quite why it needed a flight stick i don't know but it's got this lovely flight stick people obviously love this game because even the flight stick has been uh recreated a new mold has been um sourced or created i believe uh, because someone turned up at the cave once with a brand new tron joystick and said yeah it was created from the new molds or, or the old mold that was retrieved something like that but they're still making new slightly transparent blue sticks that glow under the uv lighting and all this it's, it's it's yeah it's very much a loved game and like you say dave even if you don't pick up on that from a youtube video there must be a reason for it so maybe maybe give it a go give it a try play it with your Star if i Wars see joke. it if i see it if i see the cabinet i'll, I'll play it it looks like you're hockey yeah kind of shuffle puck cafe that sort of thing mm. <laughs> nice nothing wrong with that mm. Chris, what are you eating you? you what am i eating i'm eating haribo <laughs> star mix yeah. So, Harry, Bo, if you're out there, you know, if you want to sponsor us. Sponsorship deal. We have to blur that out until they pay us money. Yeah. yeah. Send me a truckload of yeah. Harry, Bo. Duncan, bleep that out. He's eating bleep Star Mix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, very rude. I shouldn't be eating on the podcast. I Is that your breakfast? Sugar. Yeah, I need the sugar this morning. You haven't had a minute. You've been rushing about. I know you're so, so busy, so I'll let you off. Um, I'm, I'm just going to, before we come to Chris, I, I completely forgot to mention something at the top of the show. Um, I want to say a big thank you to Pajaco6502, Paul, who um, was at the, he's a, he's a regular listener and contributor, and he was at the patron day yesterday. And um, he showed this, uh, I don't know if it was on the on the subreddit or Twitter, uh, he showed this thing, and I said, I really like that. And he turned up with one for me. And this is, do you know those great big floppy mouse mat type desk protectors? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's made me mm. one of those with all of these video game characters all over it. Nice. How cool is that? That's awesome. So, um, thank you, Paul. Really love that. Anyway, let's get back to um, Environmental Discs of Tron. Chris, have <laughs> you played it? No. Um, yeah, so I recall seeing Tron, but I think it was the original Tron, not this version. And it was always in uh, uh, motorway service stations, oddly enough. Um, and did did the Tron game, I think I remember in the right game, didn't it say insert coin with like a really early digitized speech? Is that right? Uh, I, I remember, remember this. Uh, I remember maybe. seeing Tron, and I remember hearing that noise. Well, maybe there was another game next to it, but those two memories mm. are definitely ingrained together. And it was always in the arcade within a motorway service station of all places. But no, never, never played it, and I certainly never saw this version or the um, the cockpit version. When I saw this story and I saw different things about it on the internet, I actually dismissed it at a glance. I was short of time because I was on my UK trip anyway. But from the images I saw, I just assumed straight away that it was some remake from Arcade One Up because it looked <laughs> schmick. It looked mint. So that's why I didn't. So I'm now, you know, from what you've said, Neil, I'm going to enjoy looking into this properly and and, and get more detail on the story. In terms of if I was to find a cabinet um, on the side of the road, of course, Outrun. I'd love it to be Outrun, uh, even if it's the later version, Coast one. to Coast. 
Um, no, not super. Hang on. Even if it was Coast to Coast, which is a fantastic game, you know, please, somebody put that on the verge in my suburb. I would be very happy. And that would, funnily enough, go in my garage, Dave. So I'm interested to hear that you've got plans to do a garage conversion because that's exactly what I've got planned. Originally, I was thinking an arcade, but I just know I'll sink too much money into arcade machines and probably end in divorce. So my plan is actually to do an English pub theme inside my my garage so I can have a bar, I can have some kegs with uh, some homebrew and whatever. And of course, always in a pub, you had an arcade machine in the corner so I can limit it to one or two, which I think is a sensible approach, plus a pool table, which I've already got. So that's This my is going to be an English pub in the same way that people recreate an arcade at home and it's it's nothing like the arcades of old yeah. it's oh absolutely absolutely you know you've just been to england it's not going to be like any pub that you went in in the last two weeks it's, it's gonna well be- i took a photo of one of the really nice pubs neville Creston gun um but you're right it's it's going to be a pseudo well i mean for a start it'll actually have some decent beer in it so it's going to be nothing like an english <laughs> pub oh <laughs> we'll have a pool table I agree. Yes, I already got a pool table, but I'll probably change it out because my pool table is a nice modern-looking black slick edges with a blue cloth. And to be honest, even though that's a nice table and it's hardly used, I might get rid of that and try and find an old pub table, which is slightly smaller, um, and they've got that mechanism. You've got to have the sound of the balls dropping and rolling down. Yeah, and rolling down to the return feed. And, yeah, it's just a totally different feel to the game if you've got that. And an arcade in the corner, maybe. Yeah, fruit totally. totally. Yeah. I, I see what you mean about it being easy to dismiss when you see the photos because it, it looks so new. <clears throat> and also, there are so many fake stories out there. It's easy to see it and go, oh, that's just clickbait. But because it's written by Tony, you know, he will have done his due diligence and check, checked that it is all um, above board. So it is just an incredible find and an amazing story. So head over to arcadeblogger.com if you want to read that story and lots more. And also check out his book, uh, Missile Commander, Journey to the Top of an Arcade Classic, which documents Tony's story of achieving the Guinness World Record on it. And also lots of cool history about uh, Missile Command itself. Or his podcast. Oh, his podcast. Yeah, the Ted Dabney experience. Wonderful podcast. Really great. Much Makes better it. than this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm not <laughs> going to argue about that. <laughs> we are sponsored by Pixel Attic 6 Weekly Magazine, a digital culture magazine. Chris, are you up to date with Pixel Attic Magazine? Ah, well, let me check, actually, because as soon as I got back from England, I went to my news agent here, um, where I live, um, to check if they had my order in, and they had this one, which I assume is the latest. That's issue 11. Is that is that the latest, Dave? No. Oh. No. Um, well, while I was in England, I picked up from WH Smith this one, which is issue 13. Is that the latest? Yes, it is. Fantastic. Up I'm up date. to date and I'm missing one in the middle, which shows you how far behind we are in Australia. But the great thing is, obviously, the stories are 30 years old anyway, so it doesn't matter yeah. because it's all about older tech. So fantastic. doesn't matter that we're behind in Australia. It's still relevant. Have you had a chance to read them yet? Nope. Nope. No, I, I don't read <laughs> them. I, I've been super busy as well. We're all busy. We're always, always all busy. Can we just pause things and have a, a couple of years to catch up? Um, Pixel Addict magazine is available at your newsagent, at your butchers, your bakers, your candlestick makers. Um, you can get it online. At, what's the URL, Neil? Pixel.addict.media. I bought it in my gym last week. 
I only uh, I only asked you because I saw you just stuck some Haribo in your face. <laughs> um, get the PDFs, order it to be delivered, get it in your Zooji agents. It's well worth it. And check your neighbor's rubbish. You know, if there's a Tron <laughs> left out by the curb, who's to say people won't leave Pixel Addict magazine? By yeah, go bins. through their bins. Go through their bins, yeah. Yeah, go through your neighbor's bins. That's the question of the week. What did you find in your neighbor's bins? <laughs> um, submitted by Boots and Trainers, we've learned that there is a TV show on a UK cable network called Retro Electric Workshop. And I'll read out the introduction from the show itself. This is the narrator reads this out at the very start of the episode. Once upon a time, there was an electronics workshop on every street corner. There wasn't. Almost everything was fixable. Today, our love of the latest modern gadgets has created a throwaway culture, but classic tech is making a comeback. In this series, we meet the people breathing new life into the iconic designs from the golden age of electronics. There's full-time repairer Rob, one of the last of his line. One of the last of his time? One of the last of his time? I've not transcribed that properly. Um, with the help of his assistant, Matt, they use the skills of yesteryear to bring the spark back to a bygone age. Whether it's pre-war 1950s, but it's pre-war radios, 1950s TVs, or 80s gaming consoles. The third wheel is Shamil, the man with the contacts and connections to hunt down these old treasures. He buys them, Rob fixes them, and at the end of the day, they make a bit of cash. And that's where things start to go off the rails for me. Now, the stuff that Rob talks about fixing is really interesting, really fascinating. A lot of stuff that I'd like to see restored. We all do love a trash to treasure. Although I like a trash to treasure where it's been thoroughly researched and I learn lots of information about it, not just chatting off the cuff about it. But unfortunately, this program is the usual kind of daytime TV, money-grubbing, grass-being, greedy, driven banal rubbish which strings you along for as long as it possibly can with filler what we're going to do next and here we are on the way to do this as much b-roll as they can now i don't mind the idea of someone fixing something for a profit but this show isn't really about a love of retro it's not about a love of electronics perhaps the guys involved do have it the TV show isn't. The TV show is about making money. And they're not interested in telling the truth either, I don't think. Um, I mean, they found a Spectrum take a Manic Miner and they said it takes at least half an hour to load. Yeah, it doesn't. I did, uh, I did chuckle at that bit, yeah. When he yeah. Said, oh, it'll take half an hour to load no, this tape. No, that's fun. That, that, that's true because fine. you have to rewind it like 10 times. Uh, <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> but there's the, the, the dishonesty, the, the feeling of dishonesty doesn't stop there. Two of them travelled to a warehouse and they found a boxed Atari VCS, you know, a 2600, uh, an old, um, the, 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 the iconic one. Um, and they, they got a video call to Rob and showed, showed him it and he said he'd take it. And now there's loads of these on eBay. eBay's full of them. There's loads. There's cheap. They're really cheap. It's not worth £100. They paid £100 for it. Now, I get that they need to dress things up for TV. But this is not really the co the type of content I want. They buy it for £100. There's better ones on eBay. He has to do a fair bit to, bit to fix it, more than what he was expecting. And I'm not going to spoil it by saying what happens in case you decide to watch it. Um, 
they say they want to sell it for two hundred pounds afterwards and hope to get one hundred and eighty, but they do get it uh, for one hundred. Do get two hundred for it, and the voiceover talks about them doubling their money as if this is some kind of magical outcome to get Neil. Uh, you say you don't want to spoil it for anyone, but I can't imagine anyone is going to go and wait and watch it based on your review so far. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to see it. The um, <laughs> the the took out a a a a scabby composite mod, tried to put the modulator back in, failed, and then put their own composite mod in. Um, so it took two of them to find it, and then Rob and possibly his assistant to fix it, plus the parts he used, plus the time he had to do it, plus the time to sell it. There is no way a business made money on that, and it feels dishonest to me. The only way that you can make money doing that is if you're being paid to make a TV show. Um. Now, we had a long chat on Discord about it last week, and my conclusion, I think most people's, is that you can make money in retro, but it's finding bargains and then flipping it, or you can make money doing repairs for people that ask you to do repairs. Uh, if someone's paying you to repair something specific, then they'll agree to the price before you do it. Um, I'm not sure that what they're doing is really honestly paying, finding, uh, buying Atari 2600 for 100 pound and flipping them after fixing them. Not so sure. Um, but that's not all about the the, the, the dishonesty angle. Um, top twirler Pajaco 6502 had this to say on Discord. He says they ended up faking it from what I can tell from the output of the machine. At the start, they find a Pac-Man cart with the top label. Then when the guy plugs a cart in, it has no label, but it's Pac-Man, and they cut away still playing Pac-Man sounds, but that's not Pac-Man in the machine. And also, the screen output looks too good to be a composite mod in a CRT. The ghosts are flicking too fast. Now, I should explain what this means. The Atari 2600 had room for four sprites on screen, but only two of them were proper sprites. One of them, two of them weren't. So... On Pac-Man in the 2600, you saw Pac-Man all the time, and it alternated between the four ghosts, so it caused a flickering effect. But what actually happened on a CRT was because it was flickering, because the, the, it faded, you ended up with a ghost sort of, sort of pulsing. They looked as if they were pulsing rather than flicking on and off. But when you see it on the TV, Bajaco feels that it's flickering too fast, so it's not how it really should look. So they think they've made, they've done some kind of trick there. Although he does say perhaps that's just to make sure they could film it. Um, he's also spotted that the bottom part of it appears to be from a six switch and the top from a four switch. So it looks as if what we're seeing in TV is not what it's really happened. Um, that that doesn't sound right. If, if they bought it and it was tops, I bought, uh, mismatching, they would have said. So I, I'm not sure. But Neil, this is close to home for you for two reasons. First of all, you produce this quality or better uh, content on YouTube. You do. Uh, and secondly, you're involved in trying to set up a proper retro repairs business. But first of all, I want to ask, how much do you touch things up for YouTube? Do you ever fake it? Do you help things along? What's the line? How, how do you feel about it? So uh, my golden rule is no, never fake it because the moment someone picks up on something fake, just as Bajaco has there, um, you lose all your integrity and, and there goes your, your core audience that come back because they trust you and they love what you do and they 
believe that what you're showing them is the the truth and you know nothing but the truth there is nothing that would make me try and um do anything to to destroy that and and when something breaks when something doesn't go according to plan it's just another story to tell <clears throat> it's it's something that someone else might suffer who are trying to restore their own thing so go down that road like when i was restoring the packard bell the monitor turned up and it was smashed a bit well what what would be the point of pretending that that didn't happen just so that i can get the videos made and out you know just guys look what happened you know that they're there for the journey with you but then that's the beauty of youtube you're your audience is kind of with you in most instances. They're, they're going through this journey with you. They know you're not a TV company. You're not a slick production company. Um, and that's kind of what has what adds the charm and the warmth to YouTube videos. This is TV. This is made from, made from a completely different perspective. They have a budget. They have a time limit. They have resources, cameramen, lights, you know, available for a limited amount of time. They have to get it made, get it edited and get it out there. I can't imagine it would have been a huge budget. What channel was this on? Um, it, it's on one of the, the kind of the, the cable channel, UK TV or something. UK TV, TV that's Gold. right. I had to register on, I watched it yes. online, so I had to register so to watch it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the answer to that is no. Uh, I don't do it, but this is TV. Um, and yeah, why, why was the cartridge... It wasn't just obscured, it was blurred. In editing, the cartridge label had been blurred to hide what the game was. I don't know if you saw that. A multi-cart, that, that's what I reckon then. It was a multi-cart. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? It looked kind of like Atari art, but I, I couldn't work out what game it was. Um, so uh, let me just be a bit more sympathetic than you, Dave. Could it be that the chap repaired it, put a game in and said, great, it's working, but the editor wanted to tell a different story to tie together the fact that there was a Pac-Man cartridge. Everyone knows what Pac-Man is, so we should show Pac-Man for the mainstream audience. I don't I don't think that really disagrees with what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I don't think that the, the, the guy, Rob, that's doing the repairs is really the bad guy here. I think it's the, the TV company that are making something that's, uh, that's for the, the bargains in the, in the attic crowd. Yeah. Cash in the attic. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> um, I agree. The footage on the TV looks faked. Why was that faked? Maybe they couldn't lock their camera into the CRT. Maybe there were too many reflections. Maybe they just did that for convenience. They didn't show much of the game playing, to be honest. Um, but you know that, that that's uh, that could be an excuse, a valid excuse. But you deal with that, don't you? And you're not a TV company. You you get it right. True, but that's through years of doing it. Uh, and, and fine-tuning how I approach that. This might be the first time that, you know, that might have been a 21-year-old cameraman who's never seen a CRT in his life and, and <laughs> doesn't know how to get his camera locked into that. I don't know. I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy now, aren't I? <laughs> no, I'm not at all. To, I'm just trying to, you know, balance out your, your criticism here. Um, the criticisms I do have is the way it was presented. So you had the electronics hunter and the electronics scavenger and, like, it, it was it was borderline um, like those American shows where they go and open yes. up storage lots and that sort of thing. And they've all got to have a personality and a character and it, that's got to be drilled home, you know? Didn't like that so much. They did use the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I mean, Copyright. come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Um, and when they were looking around this uh, storage unit where they found the Atari, I also noticed in the background there was an Operation Thunderbolt arcade and there was a Centipede arcade. Come on, pick those. Fix those. 
2600 especially operation thunderbolt would have been cool to see them restoring the gun part of it and um and that may be too violent a game for the television but centipede certainly isn't violent um not, not graphically violent yeah. <laughs> sorry dave the pool insects <laughs> yeah, okay, but it's not the same as like, don't shoot the nurses with the stretchers, you know, shooting a pixelated centipede. Then he does an AV mod, like you said, bought it for £100, sold it for £200. Uh, absolutely no factoring in of labor, petrol, time, you know, all of that. Let's be honest, they made a loss if it weren't for the fact that they were making a lot of money selling a TV show. That's what it's all about. Um, so that is a bit disingenuous. And it, it happens on so many TV shows, all these antique shows. You know, bought this for ten pound. I spent seven days solid cleaning it. <laughs> I sold it for thirty pounds. That's a twenty pound profit. No, that's not how it works. So, in conclusion, I think you're right. I think um, any uh, skullduggery is probably down to the editing and the TV company. I think these guys are certainly the guy who does the repairing. I- I've got no reason to believe he doesn't love tinkering yeah. in his workshop, fixing things. And it's just yeah, like, everything I saw made me think that you're probably right there about him. Yeah, he seems he okay. Well, he may well be annoyed himself at the way it's come out, but there you go. Um, in conclusion, it's what you'd expect from a TV show. It's mainstream. Yeah. Chris, where do you sit? I think we see this uh, very similarly, Neil, actually. Um, I, I haven't watched it, I must say that. Um, and uh, I, I didn't get around to, to watching it when I was in the UK. And I tried when I saw that we were covering this story and it just said that it was unable to download the video. So I assume I probably need a VPN um, in place. Um, but, you know, from what I've seen and what I've read people's opinions on it and, and that sort of stuff, it doesn't surprise me one bit. That's just TV. And, you know, shows that spring to mind are things like America. And these are shows I like. Let me let me put, put it this way. I like these shows. American Pickers, Porn Stars, Classic Car Restoration Shows. What? Ev- what even – what? <laughs> Porn stars, as in as in porn shops, as in E A W, yeah. Um, Even Top Gear, right? Even Top Gear. If you if you happen to look past the service, there's so much of this going on. It's it's all fake, and and actually, I think fake is probably the wrong word. They're dramatized. That's the word I would use. It's dramatized, and it's entertaining if you have low expectations and only a surface level knowledge of the subject matter. I think that's the fairest way I can say it. Um, but what it does at least do, and this is why I'm excited about at least one show like this emerging, because hopefully there'll be more, it at least puts a spotlight on the hobby and brings it again some real mainstream attention, which is only a good thing in, in my perspective. It, it'll be great, actually. Sorry, go on, Neil. Oh, just, yeah, the way you explained that, I thought, actually, you're right. There are so many, like, warplane documentaries I like to mm. watch and things about stealth fighters and things like that. And I'm just like, whoa, this is so cool how that works. But someone with a, an intimate knowledge of the subject is probably just like, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. You've explained that wrong all the way through. And I don't mind because I'm thoroughly entertained and enjoying yeah. it. Dave's, Dave's wagging his head there. There's, yeah. there's a difference between them not fully getting it right and there's a difference between that and telling something that they know is not true. And I think I, I think the 
the inaccuracies or shortcuts they might take in a documentary where they get things wrong. There, there's no there's no intention to mislead. Whereas with this, they've got if they've, they've clearly paid this guy to to do the repairs and so on and make the TV show. They've got the footage. Then afterwards, they're cutting up and trying to tell a story that they want to tell. Mm. He's using this footage to do it, and I don't feel they're concerned with telling the fundamental truth. But that's you've hit the nail on the head, Dave. What they're doing is telling a story, and that's what TV does. It, it tells a yeah. story and it uses whatever footage it can to tell that story yeah. as nicely as possible visually and you don't like it um, and others in, in, in this hobby won't like it because we have that depth of knowledge of what actually goes on and what is actually entailed where somebody else will just, it will just be a surface level, oh, okay, this guy restores this stuff and it works that way, fantastic. They're not actually interested in what yeah. does that, see, uh, that, that composite mod look like once you fire it up. It's more the fact that they had a thing, they fixed a thing, and now it works, you know. Yeah, but the, 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 what they've said is, how can we take retro and just turn it into another double your money? Show? 100%. 100% that's what they've done, yeah. But again, it brings it into the fore, which is, which is fine. And the following week, they um, go on to do a Sinclair C5 restoration. So Ooh. listen to your Sinclair C5 podcast next week, and no doubt they'll be up in arms about the details. <laughs> <laughs> Am I up in arms? Am I? Am I, uh... I th- I, no, look, you're spot on it's because you have a, an in-depth I, um One of my favorite shows is Clarkson's Farm, which I've binge-watched the whole lot. And when I talk to people about Clarkson's Farm, the amount of people have said, oh, it's just Clarkson being an idiot again. And it's like... Yes, it is. And that's why people watch it. If it was a realistic documentary about farming, nobody would watch it. And the issues he highlights would not see the light of day. So, yeah. But but Clarkson's Farm, there's no, I, I haven't watched it, but I presume it's not presented in the idea that Clarkson is anything other than an idiot curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> True. Um, well, we all know um, that. He comes up against certain challenges on his farm, mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. there's every there's every chance that some of these challenges could have been faked just for dramatization yeah, yeah. and entertainment. Maybe based on other farmers' real world experiences, this is what they come up mm-hmm. against. So we're going to engineer this situation and show you it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other situations where oh, Clarkson's bought a Lamborghini tractor that's too big to go through the gate. What an idiot! <laughs> so ha ha! ha. So, you know, you got so a bit funny. of both. I guess I think yeah. that the, tr- the the truth is good enough. I think I, I think mm. um, when you have to fake it, you you lose something. I think the truth is is good enough, and you don't you don't gain by adding the fake in. In fact, when I'm wa- I watch Neil, Adrian, Mark Fitzy stuff, all the rest of it, what you see there is the truth, and the truth is good enough. Well, that, that's my closing comment on this, really. I mean, A, it would be great to get Amiga Bill's input on something like this because he works in the industry, as I understand it. So that would be fantastic to hear what he thinks of something like this. But also, it really does highlight, and hats off to YouTubers who do it genuinely on a near-zero budget, often with near-zero thanks or support from YouTube itself because um, it really doesn't pay. You know, most YouTubers that are making a living have to have other income streams to make it work. Um and I just think it, it's amazing. One of my pet gripes, even growing up, even as a kid, was spotting on TV when things were out of sequence and stuff like that. And I used to think, why can't it just be done realistically? Why can't it be done honestly? And that's what we have from fantastic YouTubers. So, yeah, hats off to them. Have we, um, given given the, the critique we've given of the show, have we reached out to them for comment, Dave? No, but we can do. We can ask why them. Not? We never, never yeah. know. We might get a reply. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I'd hear anything that surprised me, though. Um, anyway, <laughs> when I reached the end of the episode, 
it suggested a different program to me to watch next. It was called Bangers and Cash Restoring Classics, which looks to be exactly the same thing, but focused <laughs> on cars. I'll pass on it. I'm, I'm not saying this show is terrible. Uh, there was much more than just the Atari in there, but it wasn't honest enough for me. I'd watch um, it just for that title, Bangers and Cash. Bangers <laughs> and Cash. Um, but if we ever do a cop-like detective show, you and I, that's what we should be called. <laughs> Bangers and Cash. <laughs> Can I be Cash? <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to tune that. <laughs> Bangers Thomas. Or Neil Bangers Thomas. Scarper, it's Bangers. <laughs> I'll only watch it if the yeah, arrests bangers. are real. <laughs> I, I i prefer it if it was more honest i know it, it didn't have really a great deal of research most of the content was filler if you want to see something much better outside of our retro computing circles about repairing retro then have a look at the youtube channel mend at mark much much better viewing um he does run a retro electrics repair business he honestly does run one although at the moment they're closed for new business because he's got such a backlog of repairs, he's that popular. And I guess with things taking off, he's more popular. Um, watch that, Neil. Have you watched Mend- it? Does Mendit Mark fix stuff? Mendit Mark fixes stuff, yeah. I wonder who, <laughs> I wonder who the channel first. Um, but Mendit Mark has uh, no relation to, to Mark fixes stuff, but they do both fix stuff. Mark fixes stuff tends to focus on uh, consoles and computers. Mendit Mark is on... Um, TVs and particularly uh, hi-fis and so on. Really enjoy the channel. Really enjoy the channel. He knows what he's doing. He's a proper repair shop. Um, as I said, though, they're closed. They're that popular. There's been such an upsurge in things that they're closed for new business. But I don't think you'll be able to watch um, this show, um, Retro Electric Re- uh, Workshop. You won't be able to watch it if you're outside the UK, despite how much I've sold it to you. You won't be able to. <laughs> I should mention, actually, you, just you—you you touched on that we were opening the retro repair service earlier. Yeah, it does, it does now have a, a name. It's called Renegade Retro Repair. Um, no, it, no, 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 no. That's not that's not the name I said. What was the name you said? Electric Dinosaur. Oh, Electric Dinosaur. Yeah, it didn't it didn't pass the vote, Dave. I Add in the comments. Electric is dinosaur. Electric Dinosaur a better name? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we we've. Um, Rented the extra space. I say we, this actually falls under the arcade archive under that business. So rented some extra space, set up a repair shop. Uh, There's still some work to do, but it's a lovely um, detached building of the mill, which has this sort of grungy old brickwork wall. Is this the pump house? Yeah, the pump house. Visually, it's really appealing. It's going to look great um, in videos and things. And they're just doing private, uh, a a, a small number of private repairs, arcade board repairs, including one of Mm -hmm. Tony Temple's arcade boards. We'll see how that goes. We'll see if it feels like a viable business based on how long it takes to fix things and what it costs. And what, you know, can you actually make a profit? Can you can you pay an engineer to fix these things? And if it all works out, then we'll open that up to consoles and microcomputers. But we're just taking baby steps to make sure we don't yeah. end up annoying lots of people desperate to get booked in um, or waiting an age for their repairs to come back. So, so who's we? Is this is this is this mainly Holly? Holly and John. Oh, and John so, Owen, yeah. yeah. Have you met John? John's. I've not met John. Um, yeah. I've not met Holly either. I've spoken to Holly, but not John. Yeah, so both very skilled engineers and just um, really hard workers. Skills that also cover CRT repairs as well, which I think is going to be very popular. I can see well. me one day driving down, and I'm not joking, 
driving down with a car filled with CRTs and saying, <laughs> right, I want all of these serviced, repaired. I want them all brought up so that they last for as long as possible and calibrated and driving a car home with a dozen CRTs that way. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, it's going, fortune, be, I'm sure. it's going to be great. It's going to help me an awful lot. I'm going to go down there in my videos. And this is the thing. We've got the perfect setup here with the mill, with the repair shop, with the arcade. I actually wrote to Channel 5, must have been two years ago now, and said, look, we've got this space. We've got the skills. I'm not saying I should be the guy to front a show, but you should make a show about retro repairs. And there's the space and the kit here for you to do it. There's even electronic engineers downstairs who we could get involved who can, you know, really make in-depth, interesting stories about repairs. Didn't get a reply. This is not on Channel 5. So unlucky Channel 5. I gave you that idea. <laughs> you didn't take it. Unbelievable. I, I, it feels as if the focus of this TV show is on the scavenger going out to find the bargains and then sell it yeah. on afterwards. Poor Rob seems to be a bit of a kind of a, yeah, and we'll have Rob there as well. Yeah. And I'm a bit cynical. I'm going to stop now. I was, I was going. <laughs> I was going to go no, no. Uh, yeah, I think we've, people can draw their own draw their own conclusions from what we said. Let's get on to and the next story. Yeah, let's move on. Um, I did actually have a great time visiting the UK, as I knew I would. Uh, but one thing I don't miss is the traffic and the hustle and bustle. It's so. Packed, yes, very realistic sound effect. It's packed, it's busy, and they do like to dig up the roads to the point where actually one evening I suspect Tunbridge Wells may have been under siege as every single exit road had road closed signs on them. It's like, how do I actually get out of this place? Um, Australia, in contrast, is much more laid back, which can sometimes come across as being behind the rest of the world. A prime example, actually, being that no one here seems to know that Australia is currently hosting a major World Cup. It'll probably make the news in about five to ten years' time. I've been in, watching it. I've been watching the World Cup. Oh, You're I was watching it. it. New Zealand, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was watching it when I was in England. Get over here, and it's like... <laughs> What World Cup? Seriously. Oh. Anyway, in a completely unrelated story to how behind Australia can seem, um, Australia has decided it would be a great idea to preserve historic games, as if no one's thought of that before. Um, this story is shared by Dr Local. Uh, it comes from the ABC, and yes, that is the Australian version of the BBC. So this is mainstream stuff again. Um, and the preservation is actually being carried out by the National Film and Sound Archive, who sound very official and probably know what they're doing with regards to copyright and intellectual property. So that's good. Um, heck, in one photo, they've even, they're even holding a Game Boy using gloves to make sure it doesn't get damaged. So this is serious stuff. The National Film and Sound Archive have been around for 90 years, preserving the Australian heritage in film and audio recordings. And now they're looking at doing the same for Australian video games heritage, um, basically with a goal to ensure that they can be enjoyed for 200 years and beyond into the future. What the NFSA is doing is not only collecting and storing the games and systems in the original form, but they're also digitizing gameplay. That's a new thing. Um, so that worst case, people from you know, 200 years from now can at least watch and, and, and see and hear what the games were like, even if they don't have the original kit. So they're recording kind of a, a let's play, are they? Or are they just yeah, loading the point. game? I think they're loading I, it. They're giving it a play from what I understand, You know, as if they're a twi I, Twitch streamer, but with a posh accent. I think that's that's really important because although we have all that on YouTube, although we can routinely and we do this, we go into YouTube, type a game name in, mm. click two minutes into the video and see it getting played, 
I just have this feeling that in 20 years' time, that'll be gone. That YouTube won't keep that, that, that there's masses and masses of data they need to do, and it gets so little views. At some point, YouTube's going to say, no, you need to pay to keep us archiving this. This, this is basically us storing it for you on the cloud. You need to pay for this cloud storage or we'll delete it. So it's good that they're doing that because I've just thought there, all that footage is going to vanish. Yeah, I agree. I don't think any any system or any platform is is you know beyond being taken down. Even you know we could see a future yeah. where YouTube doesn't exist. So well, they could they could, they could they could they could cut out. I guess they could cut out ninety percent of their content mm. and only lose maybe ten percent of the views. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The big stuff gets the big views. Neil will be fine. His content will be fine. Yeah. But smaller channels with two, maybe that maybe get two hundred views over ten years in a video. YouTube are going to say, "Well, why are we keep cut it?" Yeah, yeah. And that would be sensible business, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the they're basically preserving games that really do need to be preserved that have an Australian content or, or, or input. Standout classics such as Neighbors for the Commodore Amiga. Will last forever. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say. Um, so, the lucky curators uh, are actually enjoying nostalgia hits whilst playing games and recording them, and I assume getting paid to do so. I can't see. I can't say I saw that job advertised, or I'd have possibly moved state. How by much now. would we need to pay you to play Neighbours in the Commodore Amiga? I don't know, 50 quid a year, I'd do it. Uh, no, oh, oh uh, Neighbours on the Commodore Amiga. Oh, I missed. I thought you meant the job in to- in you know. Totality, no. To play Neighbours, you can't pay me enough. Um, joking aside, the curators are looking at anything with basically Australian input. So it's not just if it's Australian-themed, like Neighbours, but if it's been designed or developed in Australia or that kind of stuff. So pop quiz for both of you guys, because we're all experts in this, right? Um, some Name some classic games from any system that have either an Australian theme or were designed or developed in Australia. Neil, you first. Well, I mean, my mind immediately went to the Neighbours game, which you've which you've said. Um, we've got to make sure we preserve that for all of time. Um, uh, you could bring up the uh, the Dick Smith Wizard. Have you ever played one of those? Mm, I haven't played one, but I've seen yeah. them, yeah. You've seen them. I think I think it was yeah. VTech originally, a rebranded VTech device um, sold down in Australia. Um, Jeff Cramron's F1 GP. The last track of the season, I think. Was it the last or the first of the season? Was Adelaide. Oh, so, we'll, we'll let it We'll let it slide, yeah. There's an Australian connection. Um, Shane Warne's <laughs> Cricket. <laughs> 1996. I think it was just a reskinned Brian Lara's Cricket. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Shane, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Shane Warne Cricket. Any advances on that? I think I, I seem to remember also, I think there was like a budget Aussie rules football game by Codemasters, oh, I want to say Codemasters, someone like that back in the day. Because um, there was a period when you could watch it on Channel 4, Aussie Rules. I never really understood Aussie Rules football, but it looked pretty vicious. I don't think the players did either. You'd watch Nobody it understands Aussie Rules football. Um, no. But I'm pretty sure there was a game for it, yeah. Um, hmm, Dave, hmm. maybe Dave's got some better examples. Yeah, Dave? Old school arcade game, Kangaroo. <laughs> must have been made in Australia to get the pixels and the kangaroo just right. Um, it's a good game, actually. It's Is kind it? of a Donkey Kong-like game, but it's, it's not, a good game. Not played it. No, I heard a kangaroo. No, never played oh, it. Oh, come on. It's, you think I made it up? <laughs> no, I don't think you're making it up, but I've never played it. 
Okay. Uh, big one, though, is Melbourne House games for my CPC. So oh, Melbourne House were Beam Software originally. They were writing software. They made their own software house to, to publish it. They published other things, but they made The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Text Adventures, wonderful, wonderful stuff. There's other things in Melbourne House as well, Fighting Warrior, Way of the Exploding Fist, and so on. Hmm? Devil Dragon they published over here. Did they? Oh. Yeah, that was Melbourne House published, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, Melbourne House um, were an Australian-based uh, software house and that's all i can think of for australia i'm afraid so, um i found australian rules football for the amstrad and zx spectrum uh, from alternative software so it was a budget uh, title not even um, code masters and it's got a picture of some aussie rules players in the front and then the crowd and there's a big banner in the crowd on the front cover of this and it just says go for it bruce <laughs> actually bruce hmm. shane you're saying Codemasters, you made me think, because Codemasters did V8 Supercars, so it was an Xbox One game. Um, and it was actually a really good racing game that didn't just cover the Australian V8 Supercars series. It actually covered truck racing and all sorts of different racing genres. And it was really good, but because it was Australian-focused, you had a lot of the tracks, including my local track, Barbagallo Raceway, which has now been rebranded. I forget what it's called now. Um, so you could actually you know, race around your local track, which is a really cool thing as well. So... There's that. Um, Bioshock apparently had Australian input. So 2K Boston and 2K Australia were both involved in Bioshock, which is a really standout game. Um, And Carmageddon, not the original, but Carmageddon TDR 2000, which wasn't the greatest in the franchise, but it's not a bad game. That was done by Tourist Games, uh, based in Bayswater, Victoria. So nice. I've just got uh, the original Carmageddon up and running here on a PC, on a P3 with mm. um, dual SLI Voodoo 2s. Oh, it's silky smooth. It's like oh, the I love way. the thumbnail that was done of you as Carmageddon, Neil. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been I just had a thought. That. Yeah, I just had a thought. It's not just me, I don't think, but we don't tend to think about where our games come from. Mm. I mean, it, I'm Scottish, and I know I happen to know that there's a lot of Scottish games, like DMA Design, Chris Sawyer, all the rest of it. Lots of games come from Scotland that way, but I don't think most people know. Not everybody knows that GTA comes or Lemons comes from Scotland, and why? why unless you get the the odd little Easter egg cultural reference that they put into them, why mm. would you know? It's kind of a it kind of a games kind of um, ascend beyond beyond that. So. You could be playing Australian games, you could be playing English games, you could be playing Indian games, Chinese games. You wouldn't really know. There were certainly more references to regionality in the 8-bit era when you were playing on a system that perhaps only sold in the UK. Yeah. So yeah. you would, you know, play games where you were a bin man on UK streets and things like that. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be quintessentially English in some examples, but now absolutely no point to it because you're trying to reach as large a yeah. market as you can. So, yeah. Another oddity, actually, was on the N64, which was... Uh, do you remember Beetle Adventure Racing? Did you guys play that? I know of it. I didn't play it. I heard it was I love, awful. No, Insects I loved it. I loved it. There were so many shortcuts, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I like being the guy in this in this uh, trio that plays the games that nobody else likes. I Myself, <laughs> my wife, and, and uh, a housemate that was living with us at the time, we spent many hours playing Beetle Adventure Racing. The reason why I bring that up is because... They actually rebranded it for Australia as HSV Adventure Racing, HSV being Holden Sports Vehicle or Special Vehicle. I don't know what it stands for. Um, But, yeah, they basically just changed the Beetle for a Commodore 
and not the computer, the car, um, and and had an Australian voiceover introduce the start of the races. And other than that, it was exactly the same game. So there we go. Surely that needs to be preserved. HSV Adventure Racing, standout classic. <laughs> Um, what, what do you make of this? Uh, okay, uh, we've not we've not managed to think up many Australian games. What do you uh, make of this method of preservation? I mean, obviously these are these are this is a proper museum. These guys know what they're doing, and their approach is perhaps somewhat more um, future proof, should I say, than other examples we've seen of this? Yeah. What do you think? It, it, yeah, it, it's worthwhile doing this. This is important culture. Um, I think culture is tends to be whenever culture appears, it tends to be looked down on until later. Um, I think it's important it's done. I would like it to be done. I would like every country to be doing it and also every country to be backing up other countries so that there's a full archive there. Um, it'd be good if this was done. I know that we talked about, I meant to do a, a housekeeping in this a, a while ago. I think it maybe came up in the two weeks off. We did a, a story on a company, the Embracer Group, who owned lots of lots of different companies. They were building that building an archive of every game ever done, and they were buying it all in. Well, they've had a massive cull of what they're doing. They're scaling back. They're losing money, and I don't know what's going to happen to this archive. I didn't find out what's going to happen to the archive. But these companies, these companies like this, if something happens to them, they won't bat an eyelid. They'll just toss it. They'll sell it. They'll break it up. They'll sell it. And it'll, it'll get dissolved. So. Um, I mentioned YouTube there and my concerns that YouTube will someday say these videos that no one watches that we're paying to store on a hard disk will be deleted. So these things do need do need stored in a in a way that is designed to make sure that they're still there in 200 years' time. And I would imagine in, in 175 years' time, they'll be able to fit it on the, pin, on the, on the head of a pin, the whole archive, and it'll be preserved for, for all time. Uh, but yeah, um, it needs to be done, and not just through through people saying, "Well, there's a website." I mean, I, I can remember retro websites, Little Green Desktop, for example. Re- there's loads of wet retro websites that no longer exist. They come and they go, and when they're there, while they're there, we all use them, we rely on them. They're great, they're fantastic, they're they're, they're, they're invaluable, and then they just disappear one day. Mm. What about yourself? Yeah, you know? you're, you're an archivist. Um, I'm trying to trying to start. In fact, today we're uh, clearing out the dev den and starting the uh, the full inventory using our new inventory system. So that's going to throw up all kinds of challenges, but we've got to start somewhere. Um, I think in this instance, uh, it's important that it's done. It shouldn't be the only way that it's done. Of course, ROMs need to be archived. Emulators need to be kept. You know, there's no guarantee that emulators that are popular now will continue to be maintained and popular. They can be lost. Uh, another way I love seeing games played through, I've done this on the ZX Spectrum, for example. There are certain formats where the controls of the player have been stored. So you run the emulator, but then you watch the game played using the inputs that have been stored. And that's a really nice way because you're watching the system work. You're watching it played there. Um so I like to see that. But I think all of these things have their place. Video certainly does because it's incredibly accessible and easy to just pop up and watch playthrough. I would love to have a kiosk here where someone can walk up to it and go, pick a year, pick a genre, or whatever, pick a game. Bang, there's your video. You can watch it played. Um, just a, a nice catalog of game videos to, to play. So, uh, yeah, I think this should go beyond Australia. Maybe they should define the format. This is the format your video should be submitted in. This is what it should include. Make crowdsource it. Get everyone chucking videos in there um, to the standard that needs to be maintained, and away you go. Yeah. Doesn't need commentary. Doesn't need anything fancy. 
doesn't need rude words put into the high school board. Just show us the game. Can I still <laughs> do that, it. though? It's half the fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. What I couldn't glean from the story was how people actually access this. Um, I don't think it's in the same way as we would envisage something like archive.org. It's this is proper preservation rather than preservation and making it available to the masses is what I understand um, yeah. from this project. Um, so yeah, definitely do check out the full story on the ABC website because they do go into the fact that it's not just about playing games. It's actually about overcoming technical and yes, legal challenges as well, including copyright. Um, the NFSA is a physical place you can visit. It's an actual museum. So I'll drop the link in the show notes to their website as well. Um, and once again, it's just great to see history preserved for future generations. Time now for our community question of the week. So let's go to last, no, it won't be last week. So it'll be three weeks ago. Question of the week. Um, question was, when did you first experience nostalgia? Uh, this doesn't have to be about computer or video games. It can be about the first time you really wanted to go and relive something from your youth. Perhaps you never had that feeling. Perhaps you never really grew up. Let us know. So we're all talking about that first time we had a, a wave of nostalgia wash over us um do we need to do anything to lock down the answers dave yeah, before we read them um i need to fight with dot to get to the mouse because she's preventing me <laughs> and i'm going to end contest mode right now okay and I uh, contest mode. am i sure yes i am bang and we're now sorted in order of appearance and guess who's come up top um uh, let me have a look i've just refreshed uh, oh it's it's pajaco it's the pajaco 6502 show <laughs> he's at the mm. top there so uh i'll start paul says i had an amiga 500 and while it was still our main machine probably late 80s or early 90s i discovered i discovered this thing called an emulator on a bbs that could allegedly run zx spectrum games i remember loading up a manic minor snapshot file and playing it for Took a half while. an hour <laughs> it was very in very early development and it was only in black and white and it had no sound i don't think you complain about no sound on manic minor uh, but it was seriously impressive my amiga could run games from another machine wow although it still makes me smile that my dad just couldn't get it why would you want to run a spectrum game on an amiga what's the point because it's cool that's why yeah, I think we all had a wow moment when we first used an emulator. And um, mine was pretty, yeah, mine was a ZX Spectrum emulator as well. I think I mentioned it on a show on an Archimedes. Um, and Bidmerky has replied to Paul saying, no way, I had the very same emulator and played Kronos on it. So a couple of people there, nostalgic for that. Who wants to take the next answer? Lord Borak316 says, I first got the nostalgia drug hit in about 1997 when my CD32 blew up because it couldn't cope with so many planes on screen at once on jet strike. Imagine a still using it. Imagine using a CD32 <laughs> in 1997. Um, so I went up into the loft and found my old CPC. What a wonderful machine that is. The first game I loaded was Soul of a Robot. I played it for a good, as a Mastertronic game, I played it for a good few hours before the CPC also went pop no. and smoke billowed out same day as my CD32. It must have been the monitor that went because the actual CPC itself had almost no voltage stuff going on. Um, imagine both in the same day. The first mm. time I got emotional for retro was about 2010 
when I got my A500 down from the loft, loaded lemmings, the music and game reminded me that my late mum was about to call me for dinner and Doctor Who would be on the TV. A tear of joy and sadness rolled down my cheek that day. Nostalgia is definitely a drug. I know I'll shut up. I'm glad that's continuing. I know I'll shut <laughs> no, up. I'll definitely. Shut up. Otherwise, yeah, we wouldn't I mean, know when to stop. <laughs> nostalgia is not just about the machine or the game. It's about the time and place and the people yeah. you're surrounded with. Yeah. So that's a good Going point. back to a time when, when your, your parents did everything for you, all you had to do was wonder what you were going to do next and you didn't have all the responsibilities and tasks hanging over you. You try and sit down and play a game now and you think, I should really trim the hedge. Yeah. It's I true. should be earning money. I should be, no. you know, worrying about the mortgage. No. 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 Chris. Right. Uh us up. Tungsten Orchid. Um, I think it was the first time I was hit by nostalgia was from the smell of furniture polish. Oh, this is going to be a different one. Uh, when I was young, my mother would clean the lounge whilst playing some music on the record player. The song that sprang to mind was Walk On By, performed by Dionne Warwick. Um, I don't know that one. Can you sing it for us? No. So, so now that is, for me, the definition of a nostalgic childhood memory. Do I still have to say, I'll shut up? Now I'll shut up. Furniture polish is a good one. When I was 16, I used to work at the weekends at a museum and my job was to, at the end of the day, clean the museum and lock up. And it was always Mr. Sheen. Yeah, Mr. Sheen that was used. So as soon as I got this place open, I used the same furniture polish. He's from Poland, isn't he? Hmm? He's from Poland. Is he? Mr. Sheen? Yeah. He's Polish. Oh, dear. Oh, no. So... Um, I like to have the same smell here because it makes me feel even more nostalgic than all of the things around here that already make me feel nostalgic is that smell of the furniture polish. So Does I anybody totally polish agree. their home furniture? Because I remember my mum doing the same, up and down exactly. the banister especially. Yes. You've got to feed the wood, Chris. You've got to feed the wood. I've got a kind of split pledge. Yeah. My entire house is wood. I really should start doing that. Yeah, look after that. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe someone is doing it in your house and you're just oblivious yeah. to it. I'd, I'd smell it. <laughs> <laughs> We've had lots of other fantastic answers. Richard Shears talks about um, he's nostalgic for this week in retro because he's been so long since he had an episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Strider 2, Robocop 2, Cracked by the Pompey Pirates, says explosive action. Um, what else have we got? Tristan the Murder talks about, um, oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, another smell triggered one i had a childhood friend who had two big dogs his house very smelly very strongly smelled of poop laced with air freshener <laughs> i now forever feel nostalgic for the ro- for rose kissed excrement <laughs> um tested a murder gave us um a translation of what their name actually means and we're not going to say it oh because okay. it's rude right okay. um I did notice that Warshi7819 says, as kids, we played in my grandmother's garden when she when we visited. And he's not talking about a BBC micro game. Oh, Granny's Garden. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. The smell of cut grass, the smell of rain on hot uh, concrete. What, what, what's the word for that? Yeah, there's a word oh, for that. And something core. We couldn't, something re- we couldn't remember last time. Oh! <laughs> and I think someone commented. Petricor. Is it Petricor? Is it? I'll find out. There we go. So lots of wonderful answers. Head over to our subreddit if you want to read through them. Reddit.com forward slash yes. R forward slash this week in retro. What's the word, Dave? Petricor. 
There you go. The smell of rain on hot tarmac. What a smell that is. Um, our question of the week for this week is, what do you dream of finding in your bins, aside from Pixel Addict magazine? So you leave your house, you turn and walk past your neighbours, and the most fantastical thing has been left on the curb. Hopefully retro. What is it? What do you dream of finding? Um, answers over at our subreddit. Is that is that a good enough question? I mean, Chris yes. has got his no, head in his hands. No, sure it's why. good. I, I'm just worried about us losing our sponsorship slot because we've essentially told everybody that you'll find Pixel Addict in the bin <laughs> several you know, times. <laughs> Pixel Addict in no way belongs in the bin. See when you've finished reading Pixel Addict, put it on a shelf, take it out a few years later and read it again. You'll enjoy it. Don't and if you would out. like to sponsor us, <laughs> please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> there may be an upcoming space. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone. Sorry that uh, that it's been a while, but we are back in action now. And we'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. They're waving. <laughs> I'm checking my bins. <laughs>